All right, guys. Good morning again. Uh, we're starting. We started a new series last week called "Beneath the Surface," and so we're going to continue on um, with that with that um, with that ser- uh, certain series. And um, one of the things we want to practice this pa- this season is uh, fasting and praying, and just really posturing our hearts and our lives to um, experience God, to pray to God, and to obey Him and to love Him. And so that's um, kind of the goal of this series. And hopefully it's been a fruitful week for you, though, maybe challenging for many of us. Uh, I know that is not easy to fast and certainly uh, not easy to be quiet and silent. Uh, I want to start today with a little story. Um, back in 1946, um, no one has ever uh, been able to break the sound barrier. There's this myth about the sound barrier that if you go so fast that uh, you hit Mach 1, somehow you hit this wall and you just disintegrate into the air. And so for many, many uh, companies and also military and uh, different nations, so you're trying to break that sound barrier, be able to hit that speed that no one has ever hit. And uh, 1947, uh, Chuck Yeager was one of the Air Force first tested pilot, a test pilot for that Mach 1 program. And um, his uh, colonel, his, 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 uh, his, um, Superior kind of informed him, and before he went on the test, he told him this: uh, nobody knows for sure what will happen until someone gets there. So, Chuck, you are flying into the unknown, and I don't know about you. If I'm Chuck Yeager, I'll be shaking my boots, thinking, "What would it be like to be in the unknown? To be in a place where no one had ever experienced?" There will be doubts. There will be fear. But nevertheless, after nine tries on October 14, 1947, Jaeger finally broke the sound barrier. And here's what he wrote in his own journal. I want to read it for us. He says this, I was thunderstruck. After all the anxiety, breaking the sound barrier turned out to be a perfectly paved speedway. The unknown was like a poke through a jello. So up to that point, he was feeling all these shaking, all these crazy moving, and he doesn't know what's going on. The speed start, the, the doubts are hit, hitting to the, the max on his dashboard, and it was all kind of crazy. And then all of a sudden, when he hits and breaks the sound barrier, there is this peace in his life. There's this paved, uh, he's called the paved speed speedway. There's a sense of peace. It's not as chaotic as it seemed for the last however many seconds prior to that. And I share this story with us because I think oftentimes when we think of a life that God calls us to, it feels very much like an unknown. And because we're not used to that, we're not, we've been living in a certain way, perhaps in sin or even in ways that are opposite of what God has called us to live, even as a Christian sometimes. And we have this kind of turbulence going on and we set our hearts and want to go and live the way that this unknown, at least to the humans, from a human's perspective, the way of God. And so we hit this, this, this massive uh, shaking in our lives and we wonder, are we going to make it through? And when we talk about breaking into the 90% of that iceberg, we've been talking about how we've been living for just a 10%. And this 90% seems like an, an unknown in our lives. And so often, right before we break through and want to open that for God to work, and we know the scripture is so good for us, yet inside of us, there may be some timidity. There is some shaking going on that we cannot control. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what are some pathways for us to get there. 
I think the hope for us is this, the prayer. I think the promise for God is this. This is the way that we're called to live. And just like Chuck Yeager, I think there is peace on the other side of this. That you may be struggling right now, fasting and praying. I don't know what to say. I feel like this so out of my element as a person, as a Christian. My encouragement to you is that persist in that and persevere in that. And this next seven weeks, as we talk about different pathways of going into the 90% and opening up ourselves to God to work, we will experience the peace that God has promised. So today we're going to talk about the first pathway. The first pathway we're going to talk about is how God wants us to know ourselves so that we can know him. I know that's a really foreign concept for many of us. Many of us, we think, oh, I just need to know God. But one of the pathways for us to open our 90% to, uh, in fact, what keeps us from going to 90% is we don't know ourselves. And part of knowing ourselves is to know God. Part of knowing ourselves is so that we can know God better. Like We need to know the way God made us. It's in Psalm 139. It says this. For you formed my inmost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Psalm 139, 13 to 14. This verse is a beautiful verse telling us that God made each one of us uniquely. Uh, that's why I think it's so important that we, we pray for the, the uh, unborn ch- children in this country. We're made uniquely, fearfully, wonderfully. There's no mistake in God's creation. As much as we don't like some part of our lives, God made us uniquely and there's no, no, um, accident. And part of it is because when, when God made us, he made each one of us differently so that we can reflect the entire spectrum of who God is. It would take everyone on this screen, on my screen at least, to show an element of God, infinite goodness, infinite glory. So every one of us matter. And he made us uniquely. And part of the journey to get down to the 90% is for us to know who God, whom God had made us. Knowing who we are help us to know God. I like how uh, Augustine put it this way. Uh, uh, back in the AD 400, he wrote in his famous book, Confessions, actually letters. Uh, he says this, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Grant the Lord that I may know myself that I may know thee. He's saying the question, he said, how can I know God if I don't even know who I am, how God had made me? Like the pathway to knowing God is the pathway for us to know ourselves, how God had made each one of us. So when we don't know ourselves, we cannot give ourselves fully to God. Like when we don't relate to our who we are, we cannot relate fully to who God is and what God wants to do in our lives. Uh, in my home church, um, uh, in my old church back in San Diego, there were three bends, including me. All of them are handsome, winsome, and cool. And um, I think particularly me. Um, but we're all different. We all happen to have the same. We all happen to have a younger sister. We all grow up in the same youth fellowship. We all grew up in the same church. But we all have different personalities, different upbringing. I'm an ISTJ. Uh, if you know anything about Myers-Briggs, I, Enneagram, I'm a type three wing four. If it doesn't speak to you, look it up afterwards. Uh, I love sports. I hate being uh, late. I, I have all these quirks in my life that makes me uniquely Ben. And the same is true for the other two Bens. And so we're all made uniquely. But here's the thing, though, in our world, like we're taught to live 
out of our false self. Like think about the magazine you ever look at or website you look at. You know those pictures are not real pictures. They're being airbrushed. They're being uh, edited. They're being filtered. Think about the uh, social media that we use ourselves. How often do we try to filter out something? How often do you try to crop something out so we don't see the bad things? Like we're conditioned. Like think of the people in the, in the, in the politicians. I think that's the most obvious one, but let's not point a finger at them, right? Like they say one thing on the stage, but they say complete, they're completely different. But again, don't point a finger at them. Think about ourselves. We might look one way at church, but at home we act completely differently. We have heard stories upon stories of people with authority, pastors like myself, people who live inconsistent life. That it's easy to say one thing and be one thing. We live out this false um, person with this mask that we live and uphold. And yet underneath it all, that's not who we are. And so this is not a real uh, new problem. In fact, our, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, had the same issue. Right, you go back to Genesis chapter three, chapter two, when they sinned and ate the fruit, what happened? Immediately they covered themselves. They put leaves covered themselves, they realized they're naked, and so they cover themselves, and so that they have this false self that they're living before God, as if God can see it through. And if you remember, God said, Why are you guys putting clothes covering yourself? See, because they cannot live up to who they who they really are. And so they have to cover themselves. And that's the problem. Uh, the problem for us to live out a false self comes down to the problem of sin. That each one of us have this issue of sin. And so we try to cover ourselves. We start living falsely of who God made us to be. So I, today what I want to do is this. I want to spend some time sharing with us from the story of David and Goliath. Just three uh, external barriers perhaps that um, cause us to live out of our false self. I think three barriers that we need to cut through and work through so that we can stay true to who God had made us to be. Three things that I think all of us struggle with. In fact, all of us probably face day after day, if not multiple times a day. Uh, but before I go to that story, I, I, I don't know if Chen is here, but Chen shared something really good. I, I think almost two months now in our small group. And he shared just honestly this rest of this struggle that he has. Like feel, he feels like day after day, he just lives. Like he just feels like he's not li- even living his own life. He's just living this school life that he was told that you're supposed to live. He's living this uh, home life that he was supposed to be. He lives this church life that he's supposed to go through every single week. He just felt like a person who's living out of a shell almost. He just kind of does this thing, these things and someone else, keep whoever else tells him to live this life, he just kind of, Almost like a chameleon, just change himself and just live his life without thinking. It was very robotic, very routine. And and I just so appreciate his sharing because I felt like for many of us, that's kind of how we live, isn't it? Like we live that type of life, not knowing who we are, how God has made us. And so we just kind of go through life 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And then we kind of get to a point that I don't even know what it means to live anymore. And so those things are, are, are continued conditioning us. And so that's what I want to talk about today is how, not the, not the whole pop psychology. How do you find yourself? How do you interpret yourself? Look for yourself. We're going to look at some of the barriers, but also how we can really know the way that God had made us because we don't determine who we are. God already made us. We just discover 
who God had made us. So if you have your Bible with you, we, I'm not going to read through the entire chapter. It's quite lengthy, but I think it's a story many of you have familiar with in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You can go on, turn, turn on your app or open your Bible. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is the story of uh, David and Goliath. David and Goliath. And uh, let me just kind of summarize it for you. Um, can you go back to one slide, please? Go back to the last slide. Um, basically what happened is David, you remember last week, Saul was the king and David is a shepherd boy. And, uh, what happened was, uh, the Philistines were out to get the Israelites. So the Philistines were sending the army. They have this face off. And then what happened was, um, this giant Goliath in verse four shows up. He's nine foot tall and he's this experienced fighter warrior. And so he showed up with all his gear. He basically was, he was trash talking, uh, the Israelites and say, Hey, if any one of you come out can beat me, then we're done. But if I beat you, you're all mine. And so that's basically what happened. And so he challenged them and then all the Israelites were shaking at their boot and thinking, there's no way we can beat this nine foot tall giant with the best of our ability. We cannot do that. Then along the way in that story, uh, David who was sent by his father, uh, to go bring lunch to his three brothers who were in the army. He walked there and it brought it day by day. And then finally showed up uh, one day when he showed up, he overheard this giant, this uh, Goliath keep taunting uh, the Israelites army. And then he was upset about that because he knew that this is about the fame and the glory of their God, of his God. And so he was asking, so what's going to happen if someone can beat him? And so all these guys were like, oh, it'd be great. You know, you get uh, the king will bless you and, and give you his his daughter and all that stuff. And then finally, um, his brother heard him talking to the soldiers. And then he was like, what's wrong with you? Go back to, to tend your sheep. And so what happened was David kind of ignored him, went on to continue to talk. And finally got to a point that uh, Saul got wind of this David little guy and, and heard that he wants to fight Goliath. And so David, uh, Saul called David and then David, and then Saul said, you're too young. You are so inexperienced. You never fought. You're never going to make it out alive. But David gave him this, this awesome, awesome, uh, reason. He said, I've bought, fought bears before. I've, I've killed, I've killed lions before and got delivered. I can surely do this. And Saul kind of in some ways have no answer to Goliath anyway. So he said, fine, I'll send you out. So Saul put all these armors on David. This little boy, you can just imagine this ginormous adult armor, put him on him. And then David can barely walk and move. And since David said, I cannot fight in this armor. So as a result, he said, I just need five stone in a sling. And so Saul said, fine, go ahead. And you all know probably the end of this story, the ending of the story, one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. David and so when he walked out, Goliath was laughing at him and saying, are you, are you, am I a dog? Are you sending this little kid to fight me? And what happened was David with five smooth st- stones ended up killing Goliath. And so here's this great, amazing story. But there are three things that I want us to see how David had to work through so that he can continue to stay true to himself and yet continue to live out who God called him to be. Here's the first thing if you're taking notes. The first uh, barrier that you see here. The first bear you might see is this, is that uh, we need to cut through our family and cultural upbringing. I think our family, our cultural upbringing tend to have uh, kind of boxes sometimes of who we are. 
I mean, part of it is it makes who we are, but at the same time, our interaction, our family dynamic, no matter how great our parents may be, as a parent, I know that as great as I can be, I strive to be, I will, I will sin against my kids. I will make mistakes. And at the same time, that's how it shapes some of us and keep us from living out who God is. So here's the first barrier that the family and culture upbringing. I want to go to the, the, the passage and show you uh, in verse 12, who David was. David, verse 12, was a son of Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons in the days of Saul. The man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse have followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul and feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. You can see from just simple description here of David is he's, he has a big family. And he's one of the youngest. And any youngest sibling knows uh, that they tend to be uh, unfortunately neglected quite a bit, and particularly in a big family. Uh, David's father, Jesse, was old. And as by, by all the account that we see here, uh, David was not acknowledged very well. He's kind of the errand boy. In fact, when uh, we know from earlier story that when Samuel showed up to, to uh, pick the king, his father did not even bring David out. Because he just didn't think that much of David. And for many, for, 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 for David, he was misunderstood. He was, uh, not being, he's not being seen. He's quite invisible in his family. He kind of does the dirty work. And in fact, later on, when he saw his brother in verse 28, look at what he says. Now Eliab and his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and your evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? Man, look at the reaction of Eliab. It says his anger was kindled against David. I mean, all David did was talking to some people around him. And Eliab, his oldest brother, was just angry at him. There's something is wrong in the relationship. There's something that is not right between the relationship. He's basically tell David, you are just a shepherd boy. Go do your little thing. You're insignificant. You're a loser. Go back to do your loser thing. Let the big boy do the big thing. And here's what happens sometimes, unfortunately. Perhaps in our family, in our upbringing, in our culture, we've been told the same thing. Oh, you're not enough. You're not smart enough. You will never amount to anything. Perhaps we get compared to our relatives. We get compared to our siblings. You're given a set of expectation. You're Chinese, you're Asian. So you need to be good at math. You need to get a good job. Don't go too crazy and do those creative work. Just find a good job that have a good retirement and just live your life. Have a good family, a stable family. Don't be too rich. Don't be too famous. Just have enough. And we've been given those parameters, those boxes that we're supposed to live in. You know, we can go on and on and be, you know, and, 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 uh, and honestly, as for p- most parents, they don't do it out of a uh, malintent. I know that for many parents, myself included, oftentimes we do it out of a good heart, yet without realizing our words actually limit our family of how God has made them. 
And so, so in the same way, David had to cut through that when his brother said, you're nothing. Go back and tell your sheep. Like he knew he was a little, he was a shepherd, but there's something that God wants to call this shepherd to do. So here's what I want us to do. I want to actually kind of mix it up a little bit today in our sermon time. I'm actually going to break you guys off into groups. I give us maybe five minutes for people to share. And here's a question I want you to answer for you personally. What are some family cultural expectations that you find yourself living under? It might not be a bad thing that they're, you're, that you're living, that they're, you're doing, but what are some things that you know, like you, you're just living because that's the expectation. That's the, the, the cultural, um, norm that you are supposed to to fit under and so i want to give us five minutes to share in our groups break us out and then come back in and i'm going to continue on the next i fully realize this is probably not what uh what you're used to in a sermon but uh, i thought that this is probably a good way for us to engage a little bit more and participate in the word of god together so uh, if it's not something that you're used to i apologize but i hope that this can be an experience for you that perhaps we can change and uh for for the better but uh, as I made the point earlier, the barrier, first barrier we need to be careful when it cut through sometimes it's just our own family upbringing and our own lives that our family dynamic, uh, whatever that was said that put a limit on who we, who God had made us. And I want to move on to the second barrier that we see is this, is that those who are in authority, who are experienced and successful. Uh, in this story, we see that in, in, uh, in Saul. When David finally walked through, walk away from his brother, uh, kind of continue to talk to other soldiers, we see that he has a heart to want to make God's name to be, to be known, his glory to be seen. And so finally the word got to Saul and then Saul, uh, sent David to him. And look at what it says in the passage. Because the, Saul told him this, Saul in verse 33 said, verse 33 says this, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. He's making reference to the Philistines. In other words, Saul was saying, you're too young. You're not experienced. You don't know what to do. In fact, you have no idea. And, and you got to think about who's speaking these words. Saul was the one who's speaking it. Earlier in chapter 9, Saul was this tall and handsome guy. He's a chapter 13. He's experienced in war. He had left 30,000 chariots, uh, 6,000 horsemen and troops. So this is not some guy who's just kind of shooting from his hip. This guy knows war. And he's seen across the way of Goliath, this nine-foot giant that is prepared to fight. So everything in, in what Saul said was not untrue. It's not false. It is true. But here's the thing, though. I look. I like how David had to cut through that barrier. That he did not just look at Goliath, look at experience, and say, "Oh, therefore I cannot do it." But look at what he says in verse 34 and 37 uh, to 37. David said to Saul, "Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear or took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him." Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. You see, David was confident of who he is, because he is confident of who God is. David 
doesn't cut through this barrier of this experience, a man of authority, the king telling him why, how 20,000 would, why it wouldn't work for him. But David was so sure of who he is, how God had made him. Now, this is, be careful. This is not to say that I want to be very, very clear that we're not to say that we don't listen to advice. We don't listen to authority. We should be rebellion. Don't go and tell your parents that Pastor Ben today said we should be rebellious toward you. Tell your teacher, I'm going to be rebellion, rebellious. That's not the point. The, because it's very clear in scripture, Proverbs 11, 14, where there is no guidance of people falls. In abundance of counsel, there is safety. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listen to advice. So we're not saying that we should not listen to people, authority, people who God placed above us in authority. But what I'm pointing out here is simply this, that David is not taking the way that Saul had told him to do and apply it onto himself. You see, David needed to say yes, not to Saul first. He needed to say yes to God first. See, for many of us, we will say yes to everybody except to God. We're willing to lift out our false self to everybody, even though we know inwardly, I am not that fighter that Saul pictured me to be. Therefore, Saul put this armor on him. In verse 40, he took uh, verse 30, 38, Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet on bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. You see, David, Saul, even sending David, still think that he needs to do it his way. But as we see, David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. See, David cannot fight in the armor. Because that's not how God made him. God did not make him to be a fighter, a warrior. God did make him to make his name known. God did make him to, to display the glory, the power of God. God made him to be a shepherd boy at that moment, at that season of his life. So he cannot put on an armor. He cannot fight like Saul did. See, many times we all have, we see people's armors. And we think, oh, your armor works for you. That it must work for me. Man, these people are so smart. They're so uh uh, eloquent, so that's how they get up into, uh, climb up in the ladder in, in their, co- in their work. Man, these people are so smart. They, they study this way. And so they, they are doing well in school. So we look at people's armor and say, I'm going to take their armor and put it on me. Now, nothing wrong with, with, with seeing, observing it, but we need to try it out for size. David put on the armor of Saul and realized that's not who I am. I'm not going to fight with the sword of Saul. I'm not going to fight with the armor of Saul. It's not potent. It's not, it's very sharp. It's very good. It's very powerful. But yet David knew that God only wanted him to fight with the five stones and a sling. Therefore, in verse 40, he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand. He approached the Philistine. Five stones, not the most, not the best weapon. The slingshot, no, not the most deadliest weapon. But here's the crazy thing, an amazing thing. Those are the weapons of choice that God had put in the hands of David. And for many of us, we live out of our false self because we just took somebody else's armor. But instead... God said, I've given you your five stones and your slingshot. 
Would you trust me and use what I've given you to face the giants, to face the Goliath of your life? See, when we live out our falsehood, we put on somebody else's armor. Here's the question I want to ask you. What kind of armor do you find yourself putting on that doesn't fit you? What kind, of, what kind of armor is that you're like, oh, it works for somebody else. I want to try it on myself. But then you know it doesn't work, but you still put it on and start you stumbling and you start working it. And it doesn't work in your life because God did not make you that way. What kind of armors do you find yourself putting on? Again, I want to break us up into groups and for five minutes, just give us an opportunity to wrestle with that and share with that. And then we'll come back and then we'll, we'll hit our third point. So we saw how uh, the bear of family dynamic and um, just upbringing, cultural upbringing expectations uh, become a barrier to when you cut through to live to our true self, how God made us. Uh, we also saw right here, just people experience through authority. Uh, people who are successful sometimes can, we need to cut through that as well in, like, in the assaults of our lives. Last one is this, that we need to cut through the circumstances, situations of our lives to live out their true self. That I think many times those Goliath in our life feel so real and they are real that it, it keeps us from actually want to step out of our comfort zone to live the way that God had made us to live. I mean, look at verse, uh, verse 42. When the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him. He hated him. He's mad at him. And for he was but a young, ruddy, and handsome in appearance. And after the Philistines said to David, Goliath said to David, Am I a dog that you come to, with, come to me with stakes? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistines said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. See, Goliath is real for David. It's one thing to cut through the family, um, the, his brother's uh, uh, hateful speech against him. It's one thing to kind of say, oh, I can just bring five stones and a sling uh, to Saul. I don't want your armor, but it's altogether different when you're standing across to a nine-foot-tall giant who's ready to take your head off. See, those fears are real. For some of us, the, the ark alive may be a real person who bully us, who make fun of us, who look, look down on us. And for some of us, maybe just a habit that we've accumulated over time that we've been imprisoned by. We know it's wrong, but we can't get over it. And for some of us, maybe a real disease that we're battling with. And still for others, maybe a conflict that we're engaged in that we just are intimidated, even the thought of it. The anxiety that causes us. You see, Goliath is real. And for every one of us who's standing across from Goliath, we're asking this question. Every time we want to live out the way God made you to live, we're asking this question. What if? What if I fail? What if I lose? Right? David had this, uh, had this, has to answer this question. What if I, my five, I run a five song. What if I shot five and missed him? And then what did I do? What if it doesn't work out the way that I thought it would work out? And every one of us needs to come to that, answer that question. And for David, what helped him to live to his true self is he actually realized that as far as I know that God has called me to do this, this is how God made me. My confidence is going to be in God, that God will take care of it. I'm going to step out in courage. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone with my fire stone and a slingshot. Everyone else might be laughing at me, think I'm silly. But I know 
that God is going to be faithful. God is going to be powerful to make his name known. You see, David didn't do it because he was prideful. He's like, oh, look at me. I'm going to show you soldiers how to fight. He didn't do it out of pride. He didn't even do it out of guilt. Oh, poor God. Nobody else is willing to do it. Let me do it to do God a favor. He didn't do any of that. In fact, he didn't even do it uh, out of a need for approval. He didn't say, man, Eliab, you look so, you look down on me. Let me show you. I'm going to show that I'm better than you, my oldest brother. He didn't do any. He did it out of a pure heart so that the world will know, so that the Israelites will know that God is God. And here is the number one motivation why we need to live out our true self in this world. The way that God had made us is because of this. And what David said in verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Here's the reason why David do it. Here's the reason why I believe why God used David. And here's the reason why we need to live true to who God made us to be. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That all this assembly, everyone standing watching this battle, may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, spear, a spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. So why? Why should we live true to who God made us to be? Why we need to stop living for the false self? It's because that's the only way for people to know that God is God. Everyone in the army believed in God, but all of them lived like an atheist. All of them, they would say that they believe in God, but only one man had the courage and faith to live to his true self using what he knows and what God had given to him as a display of God's power and glory. So this is why it's so important for us to live for our true self, how God had made us. Let me add in just two simple ways for us to do that. How do we know our true self? Because the, the, the society tells us that we need to find ourselves. We need to define ourselves, reinvent ourselves. We don't need to do any of that. All we need to do is we need to come before God. Here's the first thing that I want to practically call you to do is to pay attention to your interior in silence and solitude through the word of God and prayer. This is simply one of the things that we say we know we should do, but we don't do. This is, by the way, the reason why we call each one of you to fast and pray so that we'll develop this muscle uh, of, of silence and solitude before God. We need to pay attention to who we are in the inside. And there are way too much noises, too many things distract us on the outside so that we cannot come before the word of God and be quiet before me and hear what God has to say to us. If you have participated in our devotional last week, you know how difficult it is just to be quiet before the Lord for two minutes. And you wrestle. There's things filling your mind. And we need to quiet. And the thing about the 90% of our hearts or our lives is this. They're underneath for a reason. And we need to be quiet 
we need to come before the word of God. Let the word of God be that flashlight shine in those crevices of our hearts. We need to set aside time, not just the morning, throughout the day, minutes and moments to let God's word examine our hearts and to quiet down to listen to God. This is why we encourage you to participate with us, our fast and pray and our devotional. We're together learning to get to know the interior of our lives. The emotions that we feel, the most sadness, anger, anxiety, we feel those emotions and let God help us to decide what to do with those emotions. We don't, we don't, we don't let our emotion lead us, but we let God's word and his presence examine our, our emotions. So that's the first thing we need to spend time alone in the word of God and silence and prayer to hear from God, to read God's word. Here's the second one. The second thing is this, simply this, that we need to find trusted people. Trust the companion, brothers and sisters, who will love you and speak truth to you. Not only do we need to spend time on our own, we need to spend time with others. People who are willing to pick up the pieces of your life when your life falls apart. People who are willing to stand up to you and speak truth to you, be a mirror to you when you don't see your true self. We all need people who are so invested in our well-being that they can come alongside and speak word of truth, word of comfort, to support us, to care for us, to shake us when we need to be shaken. And we need to do that. This is why I encourage us, we encourage all of you to take part in our groups. Because none of us can do this on ourselves. We cannot discover ourselves on our own. We need time on our own, but we also need time with others. I want to end the sermon with, with this quote. From one of my favorite author, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He kind of highlight the extreme of two. People who love to be on their own and people who love to be with people. Why? We need both. Here's what he says. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils, meaning danger and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings and the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity self-evacuation and despair i think all of us fall into one of one 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 extreme to another some of us like to be alone and we need the community and some of us love to be around people in community but we needed that solitude and silence before God himself. So I want to encourage us. Let's continue to persevere in living out our true self. Let's look to God to, to, to form us and mold us to know who we are in Christ. Let's cut through the family uh, dynamic, to cut through the family expectation, the cultural expectation. Let's cut through uh, even advices, good advices, good counsel. But let's come before the Lord and say, God, is this the way you made me, the way you call me to do? Say yes to God first before we say yes to others. And I think when we, and also just step up out of our comfort zone to have courage in front of situations and circumstances. And the beauty of this is not that we will be more alive ourselves but that God will be known through our lives and glorify himself. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for our time of worship together. God, would you bless our our, our, our hearts? Um, continue to let these words um, 
dwell in our mind and hearts. Help us to wrestle with the, with your word today. Lord, I pray that we will not walk away here just hearing uh, something for, about an interesting thing about the Bible. But Lord, I pray that the word of God will take root. Help us to be faithful to you. God, help us to see you as you show us who we are in you. God, we know the temptation is so strong that we often want to live somebody else's lives. But you have made us in a beautiful and awesome way. In fact, you won and sent your son to redeem us, to give us new life. So God, help us to live fully in that. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.